What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on ComboChurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Well, good morning. Gosh, I have so been looking forward to being with you all this morning. I'm so, so grateful for the chance to be with you today. Uh, As Pastor Craig said, my name is Philip Pattison. I'm with the team at Foster the City. uh, And I'm stoked to be here today to have a conversation with you about something I think is really, really near to the heart of God. Uh, And because it's near to the heart of God, it's near to the heart of your leaders. Uh, It's near to the heart of this church. And I know that it is actually because um, this is a conversation that we're not starting today. As Pastor Craig said, this is a conversation that's been happening now for months and months here at Convo. Uh, we just get, I just get a chance to continue this conversation. Um, you guys have already been raising up families, already moving towards kids and families in crisis. Um, you guys have already been giving generously to the movement of Foster the City. I want you to know, just reiterate what Pastor Craig said, as you give to Convo, your generosity is directly linked to the lives of vulnerable kids and families in northern Nevada. You should be really proud of that. Okay, So I, I want to have a conversation about something that's near to the heart of God. Um, today I want to talk about the remarkable compassion of God. Remarkable compassion. That's what we're going to talk about today. And just so we're on the same page right out the gate, let me tell you what I mean when I say that, okay? That word compassion, if you break it down, you have calm, C-O-M, and then you have passion, right? Passion, we know, means to suffer. Calm, C-O-M, means with. To suffer with. That's what compassion means. So it means to, to move towards those who are in crisis, those who are vulnerable, those who are in need. Um, and as we said, of course, this is something that's really near to the heart of God, isn't it? If you open up the scriptures, um, it's crystal clear that God loves every person on this planet. Every person across Washoe County, God loves them, doesn't he? Every man, woman, and child, right? You with me today? All right, every man, woman, and child, right? He loves every person. Um, and yet it's also clear when you open up the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, there are some people in Reno that have a special place in God's heart. There are some people that make the top of God's list. And we know who they are. It's the orphan, it's the widow, it's the poor, and it's the sojourner, it's the immigrant. It's, all, it's clear all throughout the scriptures that, that, that that's true of God, of his heart. Okay, um, I'll take you to one, just one quick verse. Psalm 82, it says this, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy. Okay, that's literally one of dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible that make it absolutely crystal clear what God's heart is towards those who are vulnerable, those who are apart from their family, those who are far from their home, those who are marginalized, those who are without a voice, those who are without protection, those who are vulnerable. That is God's heart. And because Remarkable compassion is a defining characteristic of God. Remarkable compassion has been a a defining characteristic of God's people since the very beginning. For the last 2,000 years, time and again, you can see evidence of this. In fact, and I think this is so cool, lean into this. Did you know that the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the Christian movement? Isn't that cool? 
If you look at education reform and prison reform and women's rights and the abolition of slavery and civil rights, they all trace their roots back to followers of Jesus. This is the story of the church, guys. This is who we are. And the same is true with foster care. Um, let me tell you about a guy named Charles Brace. Okay, uh, Charles Brace was born in the 1800s in the northeastern part of the U.S. Um, when Charles was young, uh, he placed his faith in Jesus. And, and one day as a teenager, was sitting in church with his parents, listening to a sermon from his pastor. And his pastor said something that just like radically changed the trajectory of his life. Because it's become this defining moment in his life. This is basically what the pastor said. I'm going to paraphrase, okay? This is basically what he said. He said, you know, when you stop to consider all that God has done for us when we've been in need, all the ways that he's met us in his grace and in his compassion, it's impossible for us to believe when we see those in need around us that we now don't have some level of responsibility to do something. I'm going to say that one more time. I butchered it in the first service too. I'm going to say that one more time here. When we stop to remember all that God has done for us when we've been in need, it's impossible when we see those in need around us to believe that we don't have at least some level of obligation, some level of responsibility to do something. And again, that made a lot of sense to Charles. So a few years would go by, and he'd be in New York City. He was studying to become a pastor. And he was in seminary, and one day, when he was in seminary, he went for a walk through the city through the streets of New York, and he walked into a neighborhood called Five Points. And Five Points at the time was known for its crime and its poverty and its prostitution and its gang violence. And he said that when he walked into that neighborhood that his heart just broke. He said his heart melted because what he saw in front of him were hundreds of kids, just kids living in these really broken, unhealthy environments. And so he said that when he saw what he saw that day, that his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before, and he realized, I've got to do something with what I'm seeing in front of me. And so he did. He got some of his buddies together at the age of 27, and they started what they called the Children's Aid Society, which, by the way, is still going on today, 150-some years later. You can look them up. The Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt at a root systemic level with what they were seeing in front of them in New York City. So, for example, they started the first ever free school lunch programs. Isn't that cool? They started the, the, the first uh, free dental clinics for kids. They started schools for kids who were disabled. They started the first ever PTA, Parent Teachers Association, came from the Children's Aid Society. Isn't that cool? Most notably, though, they started foster care. They started what we call here in America foster care. They would help these kids who were living in these you know, unhealthy environments find a stable home to live in and be cared for in while their biological families took the necessary steps to create a healthy environment and then they were restored back together as a family. What evolved from there became what we call in America foster care. So guys, listen. I want to make sure you track with me. Foster care was started by a Christian, by a pastor, with the motivation that in light of all that God has done for us when we were in need, and the way that he's brought us into his family, we can do the same for those around us. Isn't that awesome? Guys, that's our story. That's the story of the church. That's the story of God's people. This is who we are. The same is true with adoption. Um, we have historical records 
that tell us about this, this kind of early Roman ritual. When a, when a child would be born into a Roman family, they would often do this ritual where, where they would take the, the child and put the baby down at the feet of its father. And if the dad, in this ritual, bent down and picked up the child in his arms, the child was said to be legitimized, like welcomed into that family, which is beautiful. That's actually, by the, by the way, where we, where we get the term raising our kids is from that ritual. Um, the problem is sometimes the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the child. Maybe the child looked sick. Maybe the child looked um, weak or frail. Maybe the child wasn't the preferred gender of the day. Maybe it was simply an inconvenient time for the family. But if for whatever reason the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the child, what they would do is they would take the child outside of the city and it would be left alone to die. It was completely common, legal, uh, acceptable practice at the time. They called it infant exposure. Um, but, listen, we also have historical records that tell us how early followers of Jesus, the early church, would go outside of the city at night and they would walk up and down the streets listening for the cries of children. And when they'd find these kids, they would rescue them and they'd bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. Right? Guys, this is who we are. This is the church. This is our legacy, and I'm, I'm stoked to be here today because we have the opportunity to carry on that same torch in our generation right here in northern Nevada. The church can once again be known as the community that, that, that cares for kids who have been neglected or abused, and, and they can be cared for as beloved sons and daughters. Um, about seven years ago, uh, my wife and I started fostering. Um, we started welcoming in these kids who have been uh, just gone through some difficult seasons in their life. Um, They'd experienced neglect or abuse or some kind of trauma, and we, they started coming in our homes. And uh, as we began to, to get to know these kids and their, and their birth families, it just broke our hearts. And so we invited, at the time I was pastoring a small church, so we invited uh, our church to join us in caring for these kids and families in crisis. And so we came up with all these ways that we were going to move towards these folks in our community. And as we were doing that, we began to build relationships with social workers in our area. And at one point, a social worker asked for a meeting. We sat down. And she said, Philip, hey, we're, um, we're happy to partner with your church. This is great. She said, but the reality is, is right now um, we're in a crisis. Um, you see, I was pastoring this church in San Jose in the South Bay area. Um, and she said, right here in, in San Jose and Santa Clara County, she said, there are, there are more kids coming into foster care than there are homes that are ready to receive them, to stand with them in this really difficult season of their life. And she said, honestly, the, the emergency crisis that we're in is a little bit bigger than your one church. She said, do you think that there might be other churches that would want to come alongside and you guys could link arms together as a, she called it a faith alliance, and help us to address this crisis? Guys, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way churches across California and now northern Nevada are coming together and have linked arms together with this goal, this vision that one day we're going to see a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home, right? That that's our mandate and our privilege as the church. Um, and again, this emergency crisis that she shared about in, in, in San Jose where I was pastoring at the time is not exclusive to San Jose by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, if, if anything, um, there are places around this country that where the need is even greater, more significant than the Bay Area, which is why our coalition is now in Southern California and which is why last year we extended this coalition into Northern Nevada. Because, guys, last fall, when we first extended this coalition here into Northern Nevada, um, there were literally zero beds available for kids coming into foster care. Zero. And we're seeing churches like Convo 
across the greater Reno area come together and link arms together and say, not on our watch, not on our watch. We're going to raise up foster families. We're going to raise up support friends for foster families until there's more than enough to meet the need. We're going to have a waiting list of families. Now I'm going to honor you. There's many of you here today and in the first service that have stepped up and you're already a part of that. And I do believe that God is stirring maybe some some more of you. uh, And and you're going to take some steps today. When we first started Foster the City, um, we we started with three core beliefs that were going to kind of shape who we were and how we were going to move forward. Um, And kind of with the remaining time I have today, I want to share those three core beliefs with you. Um, Before I do that, can I say one thing? Um, Foster care is not for everybody. Okay, you can breathe, all right? Just breathe, everyone. Um, Foster care is not for everyone. But listen to me. If you are a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is for you. Okay, that's not up for debate. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion, didn't he? And as his followers, we have the the privilege and the mandate to follow in his footsteps. Um, Foster care is one expression of compassion. Just one expression of remarkable compassion. Um, regardless of what expression of remarkable compassion God might be leading you deeper into today, I do think that these three things I'm about to share with you can be helpful as a foundation and as fuel to help move you forward in that, though. Okay, so even if foster care is not on your radar, stay with me, all right? Sound good? All right, here's the first core belief. It's, it's this belief that every person has intrinsic value. Every person matters to God. Every person is loved by God. Can I say this? I don't, I'm going to just totally go off my notes here. What's, what's the little one's name in the back there? No, no, you, the, in, the, in the stroller. Lucy, are you for real? All right, I'm going to talk, all right. I'm going to talk about Lucy for a minute. Sorry to be like totally invasive to your private life. Um, all right, there's, there's a, I have a little Lucy too. That's why I was kind of taken aback. I'll tell you about her in a couple minutes. Um, listen, every time, Every time, the more that I've been involved in foster care, the more that I'm beginning to understand just a little bit about um, what we're learning about attachment. The role that attachment has in the life of a child and the way that plays itself out really throughout the rest of our life. So every time Lucy cries, reaches out for need, reaches out for help, reaches out for support, and you go and you meet Lucy and then you pick up Lucy and you feed Lucy, or you hold her and you, you provide warmth and she falls back asleep. Every time you meet Lucy in her need, there are a few things that are firing off in her brain. We're learning this more and more. There are some things that are firing off. There are some things that are being affirmed to her. She's, she's learning, I am loved, I'm valuable, and I can trust you. We're learning this more and more. I am loved and I'm valuable, and I can trust you. With the inverse, and the inverse happens when a child cries at times, right? And, and that, that, that need that they're reaching out for is met with neglect. That need is not met. Or perhaps that need is met with frustration and anger. So, and then the in- inverse is, is being affirmed. I must, not, I must not matter. I must not be loved. I must not be valuable. And I, don't, I can't trust anyone. It's been one of the greatest joys of my life, guys, over the last several years, watching families like the Collins here. Watching families 
across California and northern Nevada that are stepping forward into the lives of kids and families in crisis and reaffirming to them what is true. No, 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 no. You are loved. <laughs> you are valuable. You do matter. And you can trust me. And more important, you can trust the God that created you. Every person has intrinsic value. The book of Genesis says that, that we were created in the image of God. We are image bearers of the living God. His fingerprint is on you and it's on me. Um, the, uh, the book of Ephesians says that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Um, think about that for a minute. Think how beautiful that. God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. That means that that moment when your mom and your dad came together and you were conceived... You were put into, I know it's gross to think about, hang with me for a second, okay? That moment when your mom and dad came together and you were put into being, that was second in your story. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before time and space began. The book of Isaiah says that we are precious to God in his sight. I have a buddy uh, who is a, a foster dad, his name is Krish. And Chris tells a story about um, one time when he got a call for a, uh, a child who needed a placement. And the, the social worker was, was telling him about the kiddo. And he's like, I, I want to make sure he's going to be a good fit for my family. Tell me everything you know about him. Uh, and they said, we don't know much. He's brand new to the system. Uh, they said, we know one thing. We know he's a biter. My buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does he bite? And he's like, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. And he said, as soon as that thought hit him, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. And he said, I, he said, I, re I realized that, that the term biter is an incomplete description of a child. The term biter is an inadequate, incomplete description of a human being. You know why? Because you're more than the worst things that you've ever done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. Okay, you matter to God. You're valuable to him. He loves you. And you know, he proved that, didn't he? God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just say it. He didn't just put it in a book. He proved it, didn't he? And that leads me to our second core belief. Second core belief is this, that their story is our story. Their story is ours. I might be a little bit biased here, but, but in my opinion, there may be no time in your life when you are more like God than in the moments when you open up your heart to someone in need. When you open up your heart to, to someone who's in crisis, who is vulnerable. Because that's exactly what God has done for us. Right? There, there was a time in my life when I was lost and I felt beat up. And I felt alone and I was hurting and I thought because of all of the, the scars and the wounds and the pain from my past that I'd lost any hope for my future. Have you been there? Think back to that moment. Think back to that season. When I, when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, God met me there. And he made a way for me to be brought into his family. And he gave me a place to heal, and he gave me a place to experience love, and he gave me a chance to have some hope for my future. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, it's Ephesians chapter 1. It's right here. God decided, listen to this please, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Listen, 
God welcoming us into his family. We did not, you know, push him up against a wall. He's not, he's not doing this begrudgingly. We didn't get him, you know, this isn't plan B, plan C, plan D for God. He decided in advance. It was his desire, his goal to welcome us in his family, to adopt us as his daughters and as his sons. Okay? Um, and it's not through anything that we've done, is it? It's through Jesus Christ. So listen, I know that I don't know a lot of your, your stories. I'm meeting some of you for the first time today. Um, but you might be coming to Convo. You've been coming for a little while. And maybe you're just exploring all of this. You're trying to figure out what faith is all about, who this God is, who is Jesus. And maybe you've even gotten to this place, and I've asked these questions before. If there is a God, would he even want someone like me? After all the things that I've done time and time and time and time again, after all the places that I've been, would he even want someone like me? If that's you today, please, please hear the truth that's in this verse. He decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. It's what he wanted to do. So not only is God willing to welcome you and his family, he wants to. He wants to. And it would bring him great joy, great pleasure to welcome you into his family. Um, as a foster dad, I feel like I've gotten just a small little taste of what this is describing here. This joy of welcoming us into his family. Um, welcoming these kids into our home has brought so much joy and laughter and fun and life. I told you I was going to tell you about Lucy. I'm going to tell you about my Lucy now. Um, the most recent little girl that we brought into our home, we got her when she was two and a half months old. We fostered her for about four years. Um, the kiddos we'd, we'd, we'd fostered in the past, we, they'd, always, they'd, they'd always reconciled back with their family, which is almost always the goal, right? We serve a God of reconciliation. We want to be agents of reconciliation. We want to see families restored back together in health. But for this little girl, we were told partway through her journey that she wasn't going to have a home to return to. She needed a new place for permanency. So just over a year ago, we moved from being Lucy's foster family to her forever family, uh, which is awesome. Yeah. And... Uh, and um, the name Lucy means light. Um, and that's what she's been to our family. It's just this beautiful, vibrant, never, she never stops smiling, uh, just ball of energy source of light to our family. Um, most mornings, my wife and I find ourselves very early in the morning. We, we have these two chairs in our family room. And we do our quiet time together, send us side by side. And, um, and Without fail, my little girl, who's now five years old, Lucy's now five years old, comes waddling out of her um, room with her little jammies on, comes waddling down the hall into our family room and comes and crawls up on my lap. And I cannot tell you, like, this overwhelming feeling of love that I have for her every time she comes waddling into our family room when I see her. Regardless of the difficulties the night before trying to get her to go to sleep, <laughs> the challenges and the tears and all the rest of it, like, just, but just that she comes in the, in the morning and it's just this, oh, my gosh, I just love this little girl. I just, it's overwhelming. It's almost indescribable, like, unbelievable to think that God could look at me in that same way. Isn't that cool? It, bring, it would bring God great pleasure and joy to welcome you into his family. In the same way, though, God welcoming us into his family as his daughters, as his sons, it came with pleasure, but it came with something else, didn't it? It came with sacrifice. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's joy, but there's also a cross. And in the same way, when you and I show compassion towards those around us, there will always, 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 always be a cost involved. Right? When people hear that we foster, they'll often uh, 
give the same response. Like, oh, that's so cool you guys do that. I could never do that. <laughs> that's what we so often hear. Um, they're like, man, isn't that hard? Don't the kids that come into your home, like, don't they come from sometimes some, like, rough backgrounds, different, different experiences, different cultures? Like, aren't there behavior issues? And you want to know the answer to that? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. We, here's the reality, though, guys. Like, we all act out of the trauma that we've experienced in our life, don't we? Every one of us in this room, online, listening right now. Like, every one of us, we act out of the hard things that we've experienced in, in our life. And the reality is oftentimes these kids that are coming into our home through foster care have experienced more significant trauma than you and I ever have. So, yes, sometimes they will, they will act out of that. Not always, but sometimes. It's hard. We've had, we've had seasons in my home where it felt like hell, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. Um, then people will say, well, isn't that so hard? Like, isn't it hard to say goodbye? Like, what if they come into your home and they're with you for weeks or months or years, and then, like, one day they get picked up by a social worker and taken back home and you never see them again? Isn't that difficult? You want to know the answer to that? Yes, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. The first little girl we brought into our home, she came, she was four months old. We had her for about a year. Um, very quickly fell in love with this little girl. She became a part of our family very, very quickly, became a sister to my biological kids. Um, she took her first steps in my living room. Um, her first word was calling me dada. She called my wife mama. Fell in love with her over that year. At the same time, throughout that year, we were also getting to know her biological parents. They had made some mistakes. There was a reason why their daughter was with us. But they were also taking all the right steps, doing everything that they could to bring their little girl back home. And after about a year or so of taking those, those good steps and building those relationships, the judge gave the green light. He gave the thumbs up. And I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her father at my front door. And my son, who was, um, my oldest son was seven at the time. He told me it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. So we wept that day and the next day. Of course it hurts. Of course it does. But we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good. Right? Compassion's not about you. My buddy says you, you don't foster to, to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. Right? You see the difference? Again, that's true of whatever expression of compassion God is leading you into today. You don't show compassion to get something for yourself. A nice pat on the back, a good feeling. You show compassion to give yourself to something. And if we are willing to do that, like experience and embrace both the, the pleasure and the joy of it all, as well as the pain and the cost and the sacrifice and the cross in it all, it's incredible to think about the impact that we can have in northern Nevada, Right? And that brings me to my third and, and, and kind of final core belief, and that's this. That our investment in the lives of vulnerable children can bring a long-term impact. So as you can imagine, kids who grow up without a stable, you know, healthy uh, environment are far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they, as they get older. Um, so for kids who, who, who age out of foster care, if they're not placed into a loving, stable home, about half of the kids will um, end up unemployed in their early 20s. Uh, a third will end up on the streets at some point. About half will have a substance addiction. Uh, more than half will have PTSD. You're actually twice as likely to have PTSD as a child, coming into as a child in foster care uh, than a war veteran that's actually gone through combat. Because of all that these kids have gone through. 
There's a study done several years ago by the FBI that said that 60%, that's six zero, 60% of the kids that they rescue from trafficking here in the States come directly from the child welfare service. Okay, I could just honestly keep going the rest of our morning with stats. But here's my point. Here's what we began to realize. Like we need churches and individuals and nonprofits that are dealing with all of these things that I just talked about. Helping those who are unhoused, helping those who are without jobs, helping those who are, who are trafficked. We need groups like IGM busting down doors right now, rescuing men and women who are being trafficked. We need more of that happening right now. But what if in addition to addressing these things while people are in it, we also go upstream and we care for the kids before they ever enter into those issues. Right, so what would the statistics in, in Washoe County look like in 15 years if every single child that came into foster care today was immediately placed into a loving home? Right, the, the best way that we're going to see a transformed northern Nevada tomorrow is if we care for vulnerable kids today. And again, many of you are, are already engaged, you're leading the way, you're, you're, you've stepped in as advocates, you've stepped in as foster parents, as support friends. But I do think that God might be stirring in a few more of you to get involved. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip the video on the, uh, just because I'm almost, almost out of my time. Let me, go ahead and just, let me just go ahead and wrap up here by just telling you a few of the key ways you can get involved. For some of you, perhaps, God is, is stirring in your heart um, to actually learn more about being a foster parent. For, for years, you, you've, this has kind of been in the back of your mind, and you've, you've wondered what that might look like for your family. I just want you to know that today there's a, there's a step you can take to learn a little bit more. Um, you could... You could Give about just a little over an hour of your time to learn more about what that might look like for you or for your family. Um, there is a profound need for more foster homes in Washoe County. Um, for most of you, that's not what probably God is leading you to do. This isn't for everybody. But for a small handful of you, that might be what he's leading you to do. For the rest of you, I want you to know that there is a big role you can play still. Um, one of the primary reasons why there's a deficit of foster homes here in northern Nevada and across the country is because foster parents don't make it very long. Actually, about 60% of foster families will drop out within the first year. 60% will drop out within the first year because it's really hard for all the reasons we talked about this morning. Okay? Um, but what changes that retention rate what helps a foster family foster longer and stronger and healthier and better is if a foster family takes their journey in the context of community. Okay, research has shown time and time again that one of the primary reasons why families drop out is because they feel alone. So for every foster family that we're raising up through Foster the City, we want to see three, four, five households that come alongside that foster family and provide practical and emotional and spiritual support to help them foster longer and better. Okay, these support friends are, they're bringing meals on a regular basis. They're, they're babysitting so this, these parents can go out and get a date night. They're, 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 you know, mowing lawns and they're fixing stuff around the house. Um, they're encouraging, they're, they're, they're praying on a regular basis for these families. They're supporting them in all kinds of practical ways to be able to help give that foster family more margin and more capacity to care for the kids in their homes. Um, if you're interested in learning more about what it would look like to be a support friend, if you're looking more, uh, to, to learn more about what it would be like to be a foster parent, your next step is the same. Come to see us in the back table. I'm going to have you fill out this next step card. And I give you my word, if you fill out this next step card, we are not going to drop a foster kid off to your house this afternoon. Okay? I promise. All we're going to do is send you an email. Okay, we're going to send you an email that tells you, uh, that gives you a link to some information about some upcoming interest meetings we have here in, uh, in, in this area where you can learn a little bit more. We actually have one coming up on June 18th. Would you be willing to give about an hour to learn a little bit more about what that might look like for you and your family?
Let me close with this. Um, as I said, foster care is not for everybody, but remarkable compassion is for you. Um, regardless of what expression of compassion God might be leading you into today, here's a question I hope each of us would be willing to ask. Am I living a life of remarkable compassion? I began by telling you what the word compassion means. Let me close by telling you what the word remarkable means. Remarkable means you're able to remark, right? Very simply, you're able to remark. In other words, it's worth talking about. The question really is, am I living a life of compassion that's worth talking about? Because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when the watching world looks into your life, when they look into your home, when they look into this church, when they look at the way you're, you're spending your time, they look at the way you're spending your money, they, they see the way that you're leveraging your talents and the, and the gifts and the strengths that God has given you, these different opportunities, when, when, they, when they see the way that, you, you know, what, what priorities you have, what values you have, when they, when they see the way that you are spending the few fleeting brief moments that God has given us on this planet. Oh, it's so short, isn't it, guys? Just a few fleeting moments that he's given us on this planet. Does it cause them to give glory to our Father who's in heaven? Does it cause them to respond? Because that's what Jesus is calling us into today. He's calling you into a life of compassion that's worth talking about. He's calling you into a beautiful, life-giving, fun, laughter-filled, memory-making, hard, sacrificial, painful, heartbreaking adventure. That's what he's calling you into. And I hope that you'll respond. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for Convo Church. Thank you for all the ways that they are leading the way in northern Nevada as they move towards kids and families in crisis. God, I thank you so much for um, what you're doing through so many families that have already stepped forward, fostering, supporting, advocating for this ministry, um, moving this vision forward. God, caring for kids and families who so deserve your love, so deserve um, uh, to be cared for in a way, God, that, um, that, that they were created for. Um, God, I, I do pray, though, that, that you'd stir up the hearts of more. God, that we'd see more families taking steps, God. Uh, I pray, God, that you would give both clarity and courage to each person listening today. God, clarity to know how you're calling us to move forward and courage to follow you in that leadership. God, we thank you so much. I pray that, that, that northern Nevada would never be the same as a result of Convo Church being here in this time and in this place. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Philip. We actually get to do something um, really cool right now that, that kind of like ties in not just what he was sharing and what we're believing for as a church, but um, you made the comment, it's, it's not just one family doing something, it's, there's more success when it happens as a community. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're going to do something really cool and um, kind of the first fruits of this season for our church. I know in our church we've got uh, other people who at different stages have been over time involved in foster care and even some adoption stuff, which is so cool. It's already mm -hmm. in the heart of our church. But even in this season, our, our kind of our first fruits for this, when our pastoral team, Keith and, Keith and Andrea Collins and, and, uh, and Canyon's a big part of this and have said yes and have gone through it and have already received their first uh, beautiful foster child mm -hmm. uh, that we're getting to meet and get to know as well. And so today we're actually going to be praying over them. So Collins, if y'all can go ahead and join us up here and if I can have our pastoral team come up and join us as well. Um, I'm going to have Philip pray over them. And, um, and so they're, they're kind of like the tip of the spear for us, really. Yeah. And, and so and I think it's important 
for us to do this in our service because we, um, we want you to be a part of this. We don't just want to send out an email and be like, hey, guys, guess what? Be praying for them. We wanted to bring this into the moment mm-hmm. so that you can see not just what's happening but realize, um, as, as Philip was saying, you may or may not be called to say yes to being a foster parent. Um, but as a community together, there are things that we can do to support those who are and to make sure that what God is saying or asking our church to do, that we have the resources and the relationship and the capacity to do so together with strength. And uh, so, Philip, I'm going to ask if you would just pray over them. And if you would, just stretch your hands towards the Collins family, please. God, I thank you for Keith and Andrea and their family. God, thank you for the way that they're leading the way here at Convo and churches, again, across northern Nevada. God, I'm so inspired by their their leadership and I'm so inspired by the steps of courage and obedience that they are taking. God, thank you so much. God, I pray that you would, you would sustain them in this, God, that you would give them everything that they need to live in a thrive in this season. God, you give them the patience and the energy and the compassion, the love and the peace. and the, um, God, that, that you would provide everything that they need. Holy Spirit, fill them. God, when, when the people look into their home, that they would, it would be known as a place of peace and love and life, uh, that it would be filled with laughter, that you would, um, again, give them um, everything that they need, the, the discernment they need to handle every situation, every opportunity for a placement, every conversation with the kids that come into their home, the opportunity to love and to care for their birth families. God, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Bless the Collins family, Lord. I pray that not only just would you give them the, the, the virtues and the characteristics, but you'd also give them the community. God, I pray that Convo Church would be known as a church that, that really cares well for its own, that we, they, this church bears each other's burdens and shares each other's joys, that they would support the Collins family well and the other families that are stepping forward and the other families that are on this journey. Bless them and keep them. God, we pray that, again, that these kids that come into their home and the birth families they get to build relationships with, that they would experience in a visceral way, a powerful, potent way, God, your love and your care, and that people would enter into the kingdom of God because of what they're experiencing through this family. We love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at ConvoChurch. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Convo Church Podcast.